The scripture lesson this morning comes to us from the gospel according to Mark. I'll be in chapter 12, begin there, verse 28, read through verse 34. One of the legal experts heard their dispute and saw how well Jesus answered them. He came over and asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus replied, the most important one is Israel. Listen, our God is the one Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The legal expert said to him, well said, teacher. You have truthfully said that God is one and there is no other besides him. And to love God with all of the heart, a full understanding, and all of one's strength, and to love one's neighbor as self is much more important than all kinds of entirely burned offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered with wisdom, he said to him, You are not far from God's kingdom. After that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Here is the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, every person must decide whether they will walk in the light of creative altruism or the darkness of destructive selfishness. This is the judgment, he went on to say. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others. The statement seems to pair well with the words of Jesus that have become known as the greatest commandment where Jesus commands, as we just heard, those who would follow after him to love God and to love one's neighbor as oneself. Everything else, he said, is secondary. But what is a follower of Jesus to do when the entire fabric of one's own nation and culture is set up to work against serving others by loving them as oneself? Let me ask you this in a more direct way. We'll just cut to the chase. What if rugged individualism has so infiltrated the American air we breathe that few of us are even aware how selfish our modern American lives and dreams have become and how far we remain separated from truly loving our neighbors equal to ourselves? No other character seems to embody the frontier spirit of rugged individualism more than the iconic character known as the American cowboy. With a cigarette dangling from his mouth and a lasso in hand, this kind of a, uh, American cowboy stands as a symbol for defiance and for virility and for self-reliance. The cowboy reinforces the idea that Rugged individualists pursue their own goals and desires while opposing external interference on their individual choices. Now, this is not entirely bad. There's a positive side to this kind of an ethic. This ethic, in fact, has fostered a spirit of American entrepreneurship and ingenuity, spurring on innovation and growth. This kind of ethic pairs well with the Puritan principles of prudence, hard work, and temperance that are also a part of our American history and our modern American bloodstream. But there is an underbelly, 
a downside to this rugged individualism that is far less positive and when left unchecked rubs up against Jesus' mandate both to be our sister and brother's keeper and to love our neighbors as ourselves. It is as though American Christians have skipped the first two parts of the greatest commandment, loving God and loving neighbor, and rushed straight into loving oneself above all else. But you see, this has never been God's design. For in order to truly love God, one must love one's neighbor. And to truly love oneself, one must have a means of measuring the love they give their neighbor. That's how the whole thing is set up. The way that we are to measure our love is first and foremost by loving our neighbors. What are we doing for others, Dr. King said. Without our neighbors, we can neither love God or ourselves properly. But our culture, fueled by rugged individualism, suffers from an acute culture of selfishness, fueled by the false belief that we are better off when each person looks out for themselves primarily. American culture has so widely believed this lie that rugged individualism has even crept into the way we do our theology, the reasons churches do outreach, and the whole sense of mission for the church with a capital C. And we're, when looking through the lens of rugged individualism, God is mostly concerned with the lives and actions of individuals. Instead of a communal sense of identity and spirituality of who we are together as a community of faith. The beauty of a vision in which we share our lives together becomes overshadowed by our selfish pursuit of individual and personal privatized salvation. As if there were such a thing. A focus that leads to a fixation on personal morality. Often at the expense of a public morality. Now we are seeing this today. For many American evangelical Christians have no problem supporting public figures and politicians and persons in public leadership who claim to have a private belief about God in their heart, but who by their public ethic of morality or the lack thereof are completely morally bankrupt. The private individualized brand of religion that we have become so fond of in our culture has left little room for the kind of shared public social holiness that Jesus preached about when loving God and self was completely contingent upon loving one's neighbor. We were never asked, however, dear ones, to follow Jesus by proclaiming how much we privately love him. We as Christians have been called to follow Jesus by demonstrating how much we love him by loving our neighbors as much as we love ourselves and this cannot be done in private. You cannot do this in isolation as a rugged individualist. And so when this rugged individualism shows up in our national public policy in America, it often translates into what they call isolationalism, American exceptionalism, and the misuse and abuse of what they call just war theory to fight wars in order to make a profit. In our public life, this kind of rugged individualism leads to an economy driven primarily by consumption. And in our interpersonal relationships, 
Rugged individualism shows up as our nation struggles to know how to live with one another in an increasingly complex and racially diverse environment. And it shows up when people struggle to solve the challenges of racism because we're so trained by our culture to look only at the surface level for isolated occurrences between individuals and we neglect to look at the laws and the systems and the culture of the environment around us and how these laws and systems sustain systemic racism. Rugged individualism has formed the backbone of how we have pursued a goal that is also ingrained in the American psyche. Some call it the American dream. The idea of the American dream was first coined in James Truslow Adams' 1931 book, Epic of America. Adams wrote, and I quote, the American dream is that dream of a land in which life should be better and richer and fuller for every man with opportunity for each according to his own ability or achievement. He went on to say the American dream that has lured tens of millions of all nations to our shores in the past century has not been a dream of material plenty, though that has doubtlessly counted in heavily. It has been a dream of being able to grow to the fullest development as a human being, unhampered by the barriers which had slowly been erected in the older civilizations, unrepressed by social orders which had developed for the benefit of classes rather than for the simple human being of any and every class. Now, based on Adam's description, the original intent behind the American dream was to ingrain the ideals of mobility, freedom, security, and dignity, not just for a few, but for all. And millions of people from across the world made huge sacrifices and overcame great odds in order to immigrate to America because this dream captured their imagination and resonated with their aspirations for a better life. And the Statue of Liberty stands as a powerful reminder and symbol of this history with its inscription on the interior of the pedestal reading, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. And yet these ideals have been increasingly replaced by an overly individualized, consumer-based imposter of the American dream that makes conspicuous consumption and ostentatious wealth its goal, often with little to no regard for the common good. The message on the Statue of Liberty, by the way, in case you're wondering at home, is a lot closer to the message of Jesus' unfettered gospel than unfettered, profit-driven, rugged individualism. And I think it's time for the church to shed the survival of the fittest mentality that has crept in from the culture around us. It is past time, actually, and it is past time for some creative, how shall we say, maladjustment to the system and the raising up of a new normal, one rooted in the golden rule. The golden rule, not only taught by Jesus, love your neighbor, do unto them as you would have them do unto you, is not only a Christian teaching, but also embraced by most other world religions and even people with no faith at all, because it is, at its basis sense, common decency. It is a beacon of a hope, the golden rule is. 
It's a beacon of hope shining on the hill that can lead us out of our overly individualistic streak in American culture. Now, Jesus articulated a holistic conception of spirituality the way we read it a few moments ago. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, the golden rule is about more than simply treating people as you'd like to be treated. It's, it's about an abiding, deep-seated concern for the welfare of your neighbor rooted in an understanding of mutuality and interdependence. Loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, well, it requires that we get to know our neighbors, that we actually seek to understand their stories, their hopes, their dreams. And when we begin to know a little bit about our neighbors, what we'll realize is that we share a lot more in common than we may have ever realized before. Now, in another nation, South Africa, and some other neighboring nations, they have a concept known as Ubuntu. U-B-U-N-T-U. A deeply felt golden rule-like ethic. And Ubuntu is practiced and experienced. It's an ethic that I believe America can learn from that provides a counterbalance and antidote to the culture of rugged individualism we have so widely accepted. Simply put, Ubuntu means I am because we are. I am because we are. In other words, it is through our relationships that our lives take on greater and fuller meaning. Ubuntu is about rootedness of the self in the context of community. It is a capacity to express compassion, reciprocity, reciprocity dignity, harmony, and humanity in the interest of eliminating inequities and establishing and sustaining justice. Ubuntu seeks to honor human relationships as primary in any social, communal, or corporate activity. And according to Archbishop Desmond Tutu, one of my favorites, he said, a person with Ubuntu is open and available to others, affirming of others, does not feel threatened that others are able and good, for he or she has a proper self-assurance that comes from knowing that he or she belongs in a greater whole and is diminished when others are humiliated or diminished. There is a battle within us, my friends, as individuals, but also at the heart of our nation between rugged individualism and the golden rule, or Ubuntu, as they call it in South Africa. Between blowing our own interests out of proportion and between loving our neighbor as ourselves, the question before us is, which will we allow to win the day. When the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. described the end goal of the civil rights movement, he said the following. The end, talking about the civil rights movement goal, he said the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of, and I love this, the beloved community. Now this is another metaphor, kind of like Ubuntu, and like Ubuntu, that it helps us catch a glimpse of life is, I think, somewhat closer to what Jesus may have envisioned. The beloved community becomes a powerful metaphor describing our need to depend on one another and be connected with one another in the middle of the differences that so often separate us and cause us to deny responsibility to one another and for one another. 
Beloved community is one in which the love of God and the love of neighbor become the primary motivating factor. And it goes beyond solidarity with one another and manifests itself as even sacrificial kinds of love. And my friends, we're a long way from this as a whole in American culture. Jesus once raised a very pointed question. And he asked, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world but to lose their soul? I think his question raises, this question raises some important questions about what it looks like to live out our love of God and our love of neighbor. If you spell this out a bit, I can almost hear Jesus say, what does it profit a country to have the most robust national economy and lose their soul? What does it profit a nation to stand up for their individual rights as citizens and lose the lives of their children at record pace in mass shootings while they're at school? What does it really profit a nation to create and perpetuate a culture where wealth and fame are celebrated and the poor are forgotten? What does it profit a nation to promote itself as the best in the world when there are tiny countries in South Africa who are loving their neighbors better? If we want to make America truly great, if we want to make it more loving, if we want to make America more compassionate and a place where a deep, sincere concern for our neighbors and their welfare is at the center of the way that we live out our lives together, then we have to look at our collective surroundings we have to ask some difficult questions about what's driving our culture. Why do we continue to perpetuate the systems that are in place? Now, I'm not suggesting that Christians rise up and try to impose Christian values on everyone else. I am merely suggesting that the golden rule is a shared value. That deep down in the heart of every human being is a call to love and a certain sense of decency. I still believe that. And a value that says everyone matters or else none of us truly matter. A generous and loving spirit is not something that can be legislated or prescribed. All these things support our systems, but we cannot enforce love. We cannot enforce generosity, but we can teach it and we can model it. And it must be caught and not just taught. And so, my friends, I believe Jesus is looking to us to lead the way to a better vision for the future of our world and our nation. And I believe that we have the opportunity to foster a culture right here and around this part of Oklahoma that can become contagious, one where a deep, genuine concern and regard for the welfare of all of our neighbors must become rooted in the way we live out our lives every single day day, in our daily actions and interactions, in the way that we think and talk, in the way that we love one another. Loving one's neighbor was never meant to be a theory. It was never meant to be a private thing. It was always intended to be a way of life, a way of love. It was taught to us, those who follow his way, by Jesus as the norm. It's what we're called to do and to be. And though we've drifted, I still believe there's time to redeem the American dream. It doesn't have to be a dream about individual accomplishments. It can be a dream of realizing the beloved community 
the kingdom of God. We do it together, always together. Amen.